0: I'm Philadelphia Archbishop Nelson Perez, and you're listening to the True Philadelphia Podcast with Matt O'Donnell.
1: Archbishop Nelson Perez became the boss of Philadelphia's 1.4 million Catholics in the beginning of the year, and then everything changed. Churches suspended mass, public Easter services were canceled, staffers were told to stay home, suddenly being the archbishop of the sixth largest archdiocese in the U.S. became completely different. That is the beginning of our conversation, but not our focus. We talk about how Archbishop Perez found out he got the job, about God, heaven, leadership, and his bud Pope Francis in this intimate conversation. Archbishop Nelson Perez, on his very strange and unexpected start as head of the Philadelphia Archdiocese and his role as a spiritual leader of hope and Resolve, right now in the True Philadelphia Podcast. Archbishop Perez, so nice to finally meet you.
0: Thank you, thank you. Great to meet you too, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well, all things considering. Not exactly...
1: What are you you thinking about right now?
0: Well, it's not exactly the way I uh, had planned to come out of the gate upon my return to Philadelphia. Uh, I had... um, originally planned to be, and I actually did, began to visit high schools and parishes and do confirmations, and, and, uh, and, and that was kind of like my first week after my installation, and then coronavirus hit, mm-hmm. and, uh, and then, you know, we, we are now limited in, in gathering people together, you know, no more than 10 groups, 10 people uh, at a time, and, and masses had to be suspended, Uh, For now, obviously, for the for the common good, you know, for society, and and so that part is different. But we're exploring all sorts of different ways uh, to bring church to people now that they can't really come to church because we continue to be church. So I I stream the uh, the the uh, cathedral mass at 11 o'clock every morning, every Sunday morning. Uh, Actually, tonight, uh, you know, uh, March 30th today, we're starting a an online uh, virtual Lenten retreat that goes online at 7 o'clock for six nights. It's entitled uh, The Power of Faith and Hope in Times of Uncertainty. Very proper and appropriate, Perfect. right? <laughs> at this point, where we're Perfect. all uncertain. So we're trying our best, as, as well as our pastors uh, all over the archdiocese and all of our counties are doing a great job really uh, reaching out to their flock Uh, through social media, uh, as we're doing today.
1: So this was going to be an introductory interview, and then this all happened. And so it's kind of going to be both.
0: Sure. But I just
1: want to give you my impression of January 23rd of this year, when Mm -hmm. you were introduced to the media here in Philadelphia as the new Archbishop. And I'm sitting next to my co-anchor, Tamil Edwards, and I'm like, this guy looks really friendly and really fun. Mm -hmm. Am I right or wrong?
0: I hope so, <laughs> on both accounts.
1: I mean, you have this presence, Archbishop, where it's very welcoming and mm-hmm. very friendly.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm sure that's half intentional and half not.
0: Well, it, it's, it is what it is. You know, I've always been like that, like this, you know. So it's not, um, it's not any merit on my part. It's just I'm an extrovert. So it's a, <laughs> it's a matter of temperament.
1: What do you say to people whose faith is being tested right now and people who ask the question... Why is God doing this to
0: us Mm -hmm. right now? Well, first of all, I don't know if God is doing this. You know, I don't, I don't, um, I don't really, I don't believe in a God that would be up there in heaven and decide I'm going to send coronavirus to the world and have, uh, millions of people infected and thousands upon thousands die. So I don't, uh, that's not the God I believe in. The God I believe in is a God of love, um, we do live in a world where people get sick and these things do happen and and God for me is not the cause he's actually the strength right it's really rooted in 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 that retreat theme right that that our faith and and our hope which is rooted in the Lord uh he's our strength to make it through he's not the cause he's not the adversary so i wouldn't espouse to that that uh, that this is somehow like a punishment from God. Like, God is love, you know. God is our strength and our and our source of healing. If anything, that's what God is.
1: People look to their religion to try and understand things, and right now sure. it's it's just not possible, is it?
0: Well, it's hard to under. It's not the first time that it happens in history, right? You know, uh, back in what 1917, I think it was or 18, the Spanish flu hit. You know, our own city. So this is not the first time it happens, and and uh, these, these pandemics have, have happened several times, and uh, I'm not an epidemiologist, so I can't tell you why it happens and how it happens, but, but I do know that these things also have the opportunity to, uh, to kind of put things in the right order in our lives, right? Because a lot of the stuff that we normally day in and day out take for granted, sometimes our families, sometimes our own faith, and sometimes the presence of the divine in our own lives, and just and, and the simple things of life. Right now, they're not there as they readily were. So and, I don't know
1: how it works when you get this job. Mm-hmm. Does Does Pope Francis call you personally? Like, take me to the, the moment that you realize you're coming back to Philadelphia.
0: Well, I'm not. The Pope didn't call me directly, and and in fact, I was with him a month before, a little over a month before, at our ad limina visit uh, for uh, for bishops in Rome and and had the chance to be with him and have private conversation with him. But he never mentioned a thing.
1: Okay. Uh, never but he probably knew at that point, right?
0: I guess. I really don't know how they work these things. But all I know is I had just gotten up. I was down visiting my mom for Martin Luther King weekend and, and the Apostolic Nuncio, who is the Holy Father's representative to the United States in any country. Um, he called around, it was quarter to nine, I even remember the time, and he said... Uh, uh, there's these infamous words, right, that when they call you for these things, I've had three, three of these calls not now. Sure. Uh, are you alone? <laughs> and then you know that this is not like, what are you doing today type of call. Uh, are you alone? And I says, oh, March Bishop. I said, you're not, you're not changing me, are you? Uh, and he said, uh, you can't do that. I just got to Cleveland. I was a bishop of Cleveland. I was there for two and a half years. I had just gotten there. And I says, I just got there. I got a lot of things you know, rolling, and, and uh, you can't do that to them. You can't do this to me. And, and this I said, is
1: before he even tells you where you're going.
0: Yeah. And so I said, and, I, and his response, was, well, well, I'm not changing you. He says, but the Holy Father is. And he says, where, where are you sending me now? <laughs> and then he said, are you sitting? And he said, yeah. And he said, Philadelphia. I said, Philadelphia? I said, you got to be kidding me, and I says, Oh no no no, Archbishop, there are other guys who are better suited than I am, have been a bishop longer than I have, have more administrative experience than I it's have. It's because of
1: the size of the yeah, this is like
0: the seventh largest diocese in the country, I believe. You know, it's a historical diocese, um, and so I started actually rattling off names of other bishops, <laughs> and uh, and I thought I was very coherent as to my reasons why they should be the, uh, the, the Archbishop of Philadelphia. And he listened patiently for about 10 minutes as I you know, had my little cathartic moment. And then he says, I understand, but this is what the Holy Father is asking of you. And then it was done, because it is what I signed up to do, not to be an Archbishop, but to be uh, obedient. Bottom line, this is what obedience looks like.
1: A little bit about your background, mm-hmm. born in Miami, educated in New Jersey, mm-hmm. taught school in Puerto Rico, ordained as a priest in Philadelphia, pastor in Westchester, bishop in Cleveland, archbishop in Philadelphia. Yeah. It's kind of a windy path, but it, it is, kind is. of goes full circle in a way too. So oh, do you, yeah. does your religion allow you to believe in fate in any way? or?
0: Well, God, God writes straight with crooked lines, right? And, and let me tell you, I was sad to leave Cleveland because Cleveland, the people of Cleveland were awesome. You know, Cleveland really rocks, as they say, right? <laughs> it really was awesome. And, and I love them dearly and made great friends there. But, but it's great to be home, too. I spent, you know, uh, over 30 years here. And, and while I, I often say, while I left ministerially, I didn't leave humanly because my friends and my network of people is actually here, never left here. And uh, and have great friends and and it's great to be able to just you know get in the car and go to a friend's house sure. and, and not be archbishop, just, just be Nelson. And that's a great thing, and I have that here. Um, when you're outside of your element, you don't always have that because you're just what you are there. Uh, so, so it's great to be back. It's familiar, you know. so it's awesome.
1: Did you ever go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame while you were in Cleveland? It was
0: four blocks away from where I lived on the cathedral in Cleveland. And uh, many times on Thursdays, that's where I ended up for a couple of hours. Really? Oh, yeah.
1: What are your favorite groups?
0: Uh, well, you know, I'm going to date myself, but I'm into it's the fine. group from the 70s and uh, REO Speedwagon. Okay. Wow. Uh, Candle Bruce Springsteen. in a window in a cold dark. Oh, yeah. Nice. Genesis. <laughs> uh, you know, all those people, okay. 70s and 80s. And Peter
1: Gabriel or Phil Collins' Genesis?
0: Phil, Phil Collins. Really? Yeah.
1: Because the Peter Gabriel stuff was kind of out there.
0: Yeah, he was. Phil Collins is great. That, that, uh, you know, obviously we're all creatures of our moment. Sure. And the 70s and 80s was when when I was like growing up and you you get stuck there. Are you a Philly guy? Absolutely, without
1: a doubt. What's a Philly guy? What does that mean to you?
0: Cheesesteaks. Cheesesteaks and pretzels. (laughs) And you don't get cheesesteaks and pretzels, I have to tell you, anywhere in the country. I could get them here. There's imitations of them, sure, but not not anything I would call a cheesesteak.
1: How about the attitude and personality of a Philly guy? What's that like?
0: Well, there, there, it depends on the area, right? So South Philly, these guys are tough, you know. Uh, but generally, what I found in Philadelphia uh, was uh, people are family, people are neighborhoods, people are. Um, are familiar with each other that way. There's something about being from Philly that, that, uh, that you really only feel when you leave Philly, like anything else, right? Yeah, so you only uh, appreciate something, again, like I said before, sure. when you don't have it as you have it before. Other than that, it's just part of, it, be, it kind of fades into the background. Uh, but when you leave Philly, like I did eight years ago, uh, you realize how, what a great town it is, you know?
1: You're the first Hispanic Archbishop of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. During your news conference, you spoke in Spanish, and mm-hmm. I think that probably meant so much to the members of your flock who speak Spanish sure, in yeah. Philadelphia.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, a lot, most of my ministry, right in one way, shape, or form, touched the Hispanic community here. Um, when I worked uh, in, in at Saint Ambrose, I was the one that actually began that Spanish mass. That's there until today, uh, back in the in in the in the early nineties. Um, and the work I did for the diocese in formation and lay ministry training uh, my parish were always multicultural St. William where I was a pastor, I was also a pastor of St. William for eight and a half years uh, was a multicultural community had Hispanics, had Pakistani uh, and, and, a, and a strong Anglo community same thing with St. Agnes in Westchester so so while I, I'm a bishop that that, that is able to cross cultures and languages that way, uh, in an easy way. Um, I don't see myself as a Hispanic bishop though, because to me that actually doesn't exist. I'm a Catholic bishop that speaks Spanish, and I'm able to serve a certain segment of, of our people here in, in, in Philadelphia as well as in the United States uh, because of language and because of culture.
1: During your news conference, you mentioned the sexual abuse scandal. Sure. Unprovoked, it was part of uh, mm-hmm. introducing yourself, and you apologized. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of people who have left the church sure. because they were disgusted by this. I understand. How do you get those people back?
0: Well, it's going to take time to build up trust. Right? Like any like any trust that's broken in any relationship, it takes time to heal, and it takes time to uh, to reestablish those 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 bonds once again and and I think the church collectively in the United States is doing everything it can to continue to do that to reach out to uh you know to be there to just be there for for the people that have been hurt uh, to be there for our victims it it is something that's not exclusive to the church but should have never happened in the church and it's uh it's, it, it's, it continues to be for me um, a great source of pain, and distress. You know, I know, I understand that uh, there's probably no institution in the United States or in the world, but especially in the United States, that's done more to, to uh, deal with this issue and, and is now really kind of the go-to institution for other institutions that are grappling with the same thing, which... It, this is a human issue, not a church issue. Um, it's a human issue. And But having said that, it's uh, you know it's painful. I was here in Philadelphia when it when it uh, broke here in Philadelphia, and it was tough. It was really really tough, you know, in pain for uh, for the for the victims, pain for the good priests that now were tainted in a way, right? And um, a really tough time. A really tough time.
1: You said you met Pope Francis recently. You probably Mm -hmm. met him several times. Several times, times, yeah. What's the guy like? I'd love to know some of the things that, like, he comes. uh,
0: He comes across to me like one of my uncles, you know, very, just very unassuming, Um, very unassuming. Uh, He has a great sense of humor. Um, He's easy to talk to. Um, In part, I'm sure it's his personality. It's also that Latin. Uh, type of uh, of openness that I'm so obviously so familiar with myself. Uh, so he's a delight to to be with. Uh, the bishops of Region Six, Ohio and, and Michigan, that I was with on this me, uh, meeting trip to Rome, uh, we met with him for two and a half hours. It was just him and us, and and uh, there was no uh, there was there was no script. He didn't give us a speech. You know, he walked in, and we sat in a circle. And he said, by the way, that door is the bathroom, and if you want water, it's over there. And then, I, and then he said, we're all bishops here, so we're just going to have a conversation. And there it went for two and a half hours.
1: One-on-one, do you speak Spanish yes. with each other? Yeah. And then Latin is the...
0: Not me, but... No? <laughs> <laughs> no, I, no, I speak Spanish with him. I could never... I took Latin, but I could never, like, speak in Latin. Some of those guys in Rome actually can but do you have his
1: cell phone number?
0: I mean, no, do you, no, does I don't. he have
1: a like a, a an iPhone or something that he calls? Not
0: that what? I saw, you know. But that was in the context
1: because that would be like the ultimate.
0: Can you imagine pick phone up your number and send in your him a text? Book. Like I,
1: I just got a, a text from Pope Francis. Yeah, you can, can you imagine? Suggest.
0: Yeah, <laughs> he, I wouldn't be surprised if he had one, but I didn't see it. Okay, uh, your
1: predecessor Archbishop Charles Chaput, uh, he held obviously more conservative views than you do, and Pope Francis. Uh, we're talking about abortion, gun control, same-sex marriage. What should the people of Philadelphia, the people in the church, read into by seeing you and your appointment and being someone so different in terms of your views?
0: Well, my, I, I, I would have to say that, uh, that both Archbishop Shapu and I, we both walk with the church. So I'm faithful to the church's teaching. So in that way... There's not much difference between Archbishop Shapu and I. Uh, we, we, we walk with the teachings of the church, and I embrace the teachings of the church, and actually love the teachings of the church. Um, we might have different personalities. I'm an extrovert by, by nature, but that's just personality types, maybe. Uh, but we both walk with the church and embrace the loving teachings of the church
1: both of you maybe have different visions then as to which path the church should be taking right now. Do mm-hmm. you agree with that?
0: It depends what you mean by that. Um I think both both of us understand uh the church's call to the new evangelization uh to make sure that we go to the the, the teachings of the church in a solid way and present them in a way that's articulate. Um I don't think we have different paths. I know that at some points uh uh, some in the media tried to make that uh, comparison and stuff. Maybe because of the way I um, uh, present myself, I don't, uh, I don't uh, attribute to myself t- uh, um, titles or um, like conservative or liberal. To me, I'm faithful to the church. That's what I promised I was going to be.
1: Some of those issues that I mentioned, I mean, I want to sit here and go through every mm-hmm. single one, but is there one issue that you believe the church definitely needs to transform its thinking on?
0: I have to honestly say I believe in this in the sacredness of life. I believe in the sacredness and sanctity of marriage. Uh, uh, the church's teaching really lies at the heart of who I am. I'll throw uh,
1: one out at you yeah. then. Women priests.
0: The church has said, you know, listen... Uh, that's not something for us that we could change. That's what the church has said, you know, that that if the Lord wanted that, well, that would have happened. And that's not been the tradition of the church. And that goes back, uh, really, 2,000 years now. So it's not something that is has happened recently. And, and uh, St. John Paul II kind of laid that conversation to rest.
1: Let's talk about your leadership style.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What type of leader are you?
0: Uh, I try to lead... Through building consensus and collaboration, so I like to listen to different opinions on issues, and and so I'm one that will bring people together in a huddle all the time. So I don't I don't lead unilaterally at all. I'm I, I like discussions back and forth. You know uh, I understand that at, and on some issues at the end I might have the final say, but I don't make that I don't have that final say alone. So so I look at what other people our um, thinking, and, and because I see God's guidance and wisdom coming through that. I don't have all the answers, nor, nor do I uh, present myself as one that has them. So uh, I try to look at people who are smarter and more w- wiser than I am and, and seek their counsel.
1: As a leader in the church, in corporate life, a lot of times you have to convince people to do things that they don't want to do or they just don't see what you see? Mm-hmm. How do you convince people to do that?
0: Dialogue, you know, dialogue, and and um, and going back and forth, and understanding that some things are really a process, that uh, that uh, has a, a start and a start and has an end, uh, and that it takes sometimes it takes a little while uh, when I do have to do stuff like that. But I have to say, in, in my time as a bishop and even as a pastor, I haven't really had that. Much of an obstacle with that. You know, you bring people along and they bring you along as well.
1: Maybe it's your friendly personality.
0: <laughs> Whatever it is.
1: <laughs> or you have some ability to hypnotize people or something. No, I
0: don't have that. I can't even hypnotize myself.
1: <laughs> I want to talk about some things that are very spiritual and, mm-hmm. and otherworldly and, and, and about religion. Um, there's always this depiction of God as some guy, old man with a beard sitting on a chair. Mm-hmm. And we know that that's just not the case. When you imagine yourself meeting God one day,
0: mm-hmm.
1: what do you see? What, can you even explain what that experience might be for you? What would you see?
0: Well, um, as a Christian, for me, the image actually of God, the the sign, or the we would say the sacrament, right, uh, is actually Christ. So that Christ is the ultimate expression of what God is like. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's the inside of his heart becoming visible in the person of Christ. And, and ultimately, what, is, what does that look like? At the end, it looks like love. It looks like love. Now, not love the way we understand it to be all the time, right? Because love, oftentimes, we reduce to like a feeling, right? And, and, um, and something that's effective. But ultimately, love involves desiring the good of the other. And that's what God desires of all of us. Um, I guess the greatest image of that is actually that of father. right? Uh, and uh, th- those of you who are dads understand that yes. more, than I, more than I do. right? Because I'm not a dad. I don't know if you're a dad. I, but, I have two so children. You have two children. So you're able to understand that in a way that I can't right because you wake up in your morning and you see your kids and you desire their good and in fact you literally will give your life up for them if it if it became a choice between them and you you're gone right because you desire their good and you don't have to have a week to think about it you would do it in an instant right that's gone.
1: What you do is great sacrifice. Becoming a priest, you mm-hmm. can never marry. You can never have children. Do you ever wish that you did? Do you ever? Oh, absolutely. Children of your own?
0: Yeah, absolutely, without a doubt.
1: How do you get through that?
0: Well, because the fact is that I, right now I have 1.4 million children, <laughs> right? And in that way, uh, that that's the children of the Church of Philadelphia, and and in a. And in a very real way, you're their father, right? In fact, that's what they used to call me too. In fact, there's, there are people in Philadelphia that they don't call me Monsignor or Bishop or Archbishop or Excellency. For them, uh, I'm Father Nelson. That's all I've been to them and always will be for them. Uh, and it's probably of all the titles that, that the world and the church has given to me, uh, it's actually... Is actually the most profound of them all because you really are a father Um, so yeah would I have longed to be married and had children well yeah but I don't regret what I did uh, never for a moment Uh, because in many ways I've been a father to many actually in ways that are even broader than the way you're a dad to two kids sure yeah
1: I don't want to talk too much about Things we don't know, but mm-hmm. you know, it, there's this idea that you know when when we go to the other place mm-hmm. so there's hell, there's heaven and there's purgatory
0: mm-hmm.
1: what what nowadays is the church talking about and thinking about these concepts
0: well those are- tradi- you know they are the traditional teachings of the church right um, but like every anybody else i I accept them in, in, and assent to them in faith um so when you go and see it, tell me what it's like because <laughs> at the end we're in the same boat, you know. With that, those are the teaching of the church as, as rooted in our in our scriptures and in the tradition of the church. Uh, they're part of our Christian uh, spirituality.
1: I think the way that you describe what it would be like to meet God, mm-hmm. it's probably similar as to whether uh, what heaven would be like. It's not something that well, you yeah. just. You, it's not a place up there. It's right. not a room. There's, it's no, not,
0: there's no rocket that could take you there, right? <laughs> it's, you know, it's, a, it's a state of the soul. It's sure. a state of the soul.
1: So when Easter arrives in a couple of weeks and you won't have a, a churches filled with people all across the region mm-hmm. and you won't be saying Mass to a, full, a filled church here at the cathedral, mm-hmm. I was wondering if maybe you could kind of give me a preview of what you were going to be talking about in your homily on Easter, because I know you'll be doing mm-hmm. some online services. What, what do you think your message is going to be about?
0: Hope. If, if, if there's anything about Easter that lies at the center of its message, is actually hope, right? Uh, because what we celebrate at Easter is, is the basic foundational mystery of Christianity. You know, oftentimes we, um, we want to reduce Christianity to like an ethic of life. Right. So we'll ask, you know, you could people, ask, well, what is, what is it like to be a Christian? And people, oh, you're, you're kind and loving and merciful and forgiving and generous. And, and yeah, all those things are true. Right. But you don't have to be a Christian to be kind and loving and merciful and generous and, and forgiving. You, you don't have to be a Christian to do that. In fact, there might be other people who are not Christians that do it better than we do. Right. That's not what lies at the center of being a Christian. What lies at the center of being a Christian is that we believe that a dead man rose back to life, right? And, and, and what, is, what is that? It gives us hope, right? That even when things appear to be final, there's nothing more final than death, uh, apparently, um, Christianity comes along and says, don't be too sure. Don't be too sure. There's a movie called Jesus of Nazareth. It was directed by a guy named Zeffirelli. Um, it'll probably be shown on TV. It's three hours long. It's a beautiful movie, probably the best one. Religious
1: movies tend to be pretty long.
0: They are, yeah. You know, <laughs> this one's fast. This one, I think it was done in like the 70s or okay. something. It's, it's incredible. At the very end of that movie, there is a, there is a scene where the soldier, it comes from the scriptures, goes to the grave because they tell him that they stole the body. And, uh, and what Seffirelli did was, instead of watching the soldier come to the tomb and stick his head in, he stuck the camera inside the tomb. So what you see, the image that you see, is the, the darkness of the grave and the openness of the door, or the entrance to this sepulcher. And you see that the... the um, the soldier, this Roman centurion, sticks his head and his body inside this black uh, tomb and this camera is looking at him now coming in. And he looks around and what he says is, now it all begins. He says, that's it.
1: Wow. On the other side of this pandemic, there will be changes. Mm -hmm. What have you thought about what's going to happen when we come out on the other side?
0: Well, I hope that people will, will have changes of heart, that they will uh, hopefully value that, which maybe they took, that we all took for granted, that was so readily available, especially in this country. That's a country of such abundance, right? Uh, we got upset now to go to the supermarket and there's no milk this is really, this, there are some countries that there's no milk all the time, right? And, and we stand there in front of the, uh, the, uh, the, the milk refrigerator at the supermarket and become indignant that there's no milk, that we appreciate what we have, right? Because the Lord has blessed us with a lot. Um, that, the, that, that somehow, in some way, uh, it would also touch our hearts and become closer to God, um, and, and closer to the people around us. Um, because lots of incredible stuff is actually happening in neighborhoods and stuff. A friend of mine sent me a, a, a video the other night. Uh, she lives in a neighborhood and, and, and at 8 o'clock every night for about 5, 10 minutes, all the neighbors come out to their porches. They bang on packs, uh, on pots and pans, make noise. Uh, and, and say hello to each other and have a toast. Well, that's a great thing, actually, because oftentimes we live within our own little castles and we might wave from, from, uh, from a distance or nod our heads and then go into and lock our doors and bring down our curtains, you know. Uh, I would hope that we would come out of here with a, with a, a more profound sense of community as well.
1: Do you fear that the social distancing aspect is going to create new habits that will make us less social creatures?
0: No. No, because it's in our nature. I think for a while people will be cautious and and it probably might be good because I don't think I don't think this I'm not an epidemiologist so I don't know but or a virologist but I don't think like the coronavirus is going to be here today and gone tomorrow. Right? So people are going to be cautious and stuff for a while but we will go back to, to how God made us. And God really made us to, to, uh, to live in family and live in community.
1: There are so many people who are suffering right now, whether it's the loss of a job, mm-hmm. maybe their, their health is a problem right now. Maybe they're just completely in distress emotionally. Mm-hmm. If one of these people were to come to you and say, Archbishop Perez, will I be okay? What would you
0: tell them? I would say rely on the strength and the power of of faith and hope, right, because uh, that's what's going to give you peace in your heart. And I would say, yeah, you'll be okay.
1: Archbishop Nelson Perez on the True Philadelphia Podcast. Thanks so much for giving your time. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Matt. It's great to be with you. Meet you.
1: Our thanks to Archbishop Perez. He says he is taking his temperature twice a day and is being very careful to not get sick. We resisted shaking hands or embracing. We sat more than six feet away from each other. I sanitized my equipment before the interview, the chair and table afterwards. All things we never would have imagined doing just one month ago. I'm Matt O'Donnell, and thank you for listening to the True Philadelphia Podcast.